It didn't take much more than a bottle and two chairs to make a speakeasy. This is what Daniel Okrent said in his book, Last Call, The Rise and Fall of Prohibition. Today, join us for some stories. Get your own bottle, glass, mug, and relax. This is Speak Easily, and I'm your host, Krista Stoffer. If you like want. a Clintonville. Okay. Yeah, there's yeah. not a whole lot of... Uh, I mean, there's been a few new houses, but that's pretty rare. Okay. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we grew up in Gahanna, so we're, we were pretty well landlocked by that yeah. time, I yeah. think. My, my wife asked recently, she said, well, when Gahanna expands, where are they going to go? I'm like, nowhere. It's, it's done. <laughs> up? I mean, that's basically the yeah. only option at this stage. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. So. Did you grow up in Columbus? Are you from here? No, I'm from. Actually, I was kind of laughing. Your former guest, Sandy Mathias, who's a friend of mine. Yeah, she knows everybody. We, <laughs> I'm from Finger Lakes. Are you really? And then we lived in Bloomington for a long time as well. Oh, creepy! So kind of, you guys kind of followed each other. Yeah, we did. <laughs> That's so funny. You grew up in New York then. Yeah, Finger okay. Lakes, small town. Did you graduate from there then too? Like all through school or? High school. Okay. Yeah. And then Indiana, or then? No, then went to Kenyon College. Yeah. My mom teaches there right now. Very good. She, yeah. What does she teach? Music. She's vocal music. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. When did you study at Kenyon? Uh, we were there uh, 79 to 83. Okay. And your major was? Classics. Greek and Latin. Really? Yeah. Okay. I, I went for the least marketable degree you can, <laughs> you can get. <laughs> I, mean, I thought theater was. And I achieved. <laughs> Wow. Well, you've got theater and film and animation yeah. here, so <laughs> it's a heady room. Stack them up on the wall. <laughs> How big was Kenyon then? Is it, uh, it was around 1,400 students. Okay. Now it's around 1,600. So it's not It grew, not a, it grew a little bit. But, Such a um, beautiful campus. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, hard to argue with it. Yeah. Middle of nowhere. Still feels yeah. that way. Columbus is a little closer now than it was when right. we were there. Yeah. How did you find Kenyon? You know, those are the days when you got a lot of postcards from oh, colleges, true. and yeah. it seemed like, uh, you know, it seemed like a good distance away, <laughs> a good writing school. Yeah. So that made an impression on okay. me. Okay. And um, my parents are from Terre Haute, Indiana, originally. So mm. I'm really a, I was just a displaced Midwesterner in a way. It made sense <laughs> to come. Come. This they way. were, and they were okay with you going to random middle of nowhere Ohio oh, yeah. school. Yeah, they were okay. very supportive. Wow. When did you start your interest in, in writing? Like, like well, clearly you had an idea of that going into college, so. Yeah. I mean, wrote little stories when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Loved to read. Always read. House, yeah. Grew up in a house full of books. Okay. And my parents were, um, were very, um, they were rabid readers. We always had books and magazines. Mm. And I just always liked the idea of telling stories. Yeah. And my detour was going into journalism, which um, was a kind of storytelling, still is. Yeah, yeah. And uh, eventually followed, sort of went back in time and started working on some mysteries, things that I had always wanted to do. And and eventually those mysteries grew into the series that I write now, plus some short stories and um, some other things. Nice. So do you have siblings then? Two brothers. Two yeah. brothers, older, younger. Younger. Are they readers as well? Sure. Yeah. They are. Yeah, we all read. Did he, did either of them follow in the same literature footsteps? No, then? they do different things, um, but they're um, 
I think we all we all took away from growing up just you know a love of books. Yeah. So then after Kenyon, did you you stayed in Columbus? No, we traveled all over the country. We lived in um, uh, South Dakota. We lived in Rhode oh, Island. Wow. We lived in uh, in Bloomington, Indiana, yeah. for seven years. And then eventually, as our kids were getting a little older, we moved uh, either to Ohio or back to Ohio, depending, I guess, how you want to interpret that. Yeah. We moved to yeah. Youngstown, Ohio. Okay. I worked at the uh, Youngstown Vindicator, uh, which was a fantastic newspaper. Hmm. Um, rough city to, to live in, but great, yeah. great news town. And yeah. unfortunately, the Vindicator uh, ended its 150-year run. Um, last month it, oh it closed for good yeah, um, man. kind of shocking yeah. uh, to all of us uh, so that was unfortunate but so yeah lived in Youngstown and then um, came to Columbus in 1998 okay. to, to work for the Associated Press and nice. I've, we've been here ever since okay how did you meet your lovely wife <laughs> uh, we met at Kenyon you did okay yeah, was we, she uh, doing music there she did a little bit of music but she okay. was an English major okay yeah and um, we famously met at a medieval banquet which was the sort of thing <laughs> you did That's for awesome. fun in the in 1980s at a small college. <laughs> Sounds fun now, I'll be honest. Ex- uh, uh, okay, explain this to me. Medieval banquet is... Well, put medieval in quotes, right? Okay, okay. Uh, I, I think, as I recall, we, we dressed up in medieval-y clothes, Ish, and there, yeah. were, there were large turkey legs and... <laughs> nice. Um, that kind of thing. Lots of furs exactly. in random places. Yeah. Okay. Was this like a college thing, or was this somebody's? It was a college, yeah. It was a college. Oh, they did it. It was a college event oh. at the. If you're familiar with Kenyon, uh, Pierce Hall, uh, which to this day is the big dining hall there, it, it's it very much looks like the Hogwarts Hall, hmm. soaring ceilings. Really? In fact, a lot of people think scenes from the movies were set there, which they were not, but they could have been. <laughs> that would have been cool. And so then and now, it it's it's very. Um, I would not say it's medieval yeah. looking because I tend to associate that with like huts. Um, <laughs> with so actual you're saying medieval you did times. need it. Right. <laughs> it's very, yeah. very sort of old English looking. Okay. Just a really magnificent, <laughs> magnificent hall. Really? So you met at this banquet then? We did. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What was she? Was she like dressed in a <laughs> in a way that? She was. She was dressed as a nun. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. And uh, <laughs> again, not exactly medieval, right. but something. Why not? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Just don't wear your street clothes. Right. right. Yeah. We we dressed up yeah. the best we could. Okay. <laughs> All right. Did you guys get married shortly after school? We were uh, relatively soon. Yeah. Okay. We were married um, in 1984, so we've okay. been married, you know, a long time. Couple 35 years. years. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> and you have kiddos. We do. We have three children, mm-hmm. um, all grown. Our oldest daughter is married. Uh, and living in D.C., and okay. our we have twins. Oh, wow. And our daughter, our one daughter lives in Des Moines, and our other son lives in New York. All New over. York City, yeah. Get some traveling in then. We do, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of miles on twins, the car. Twins, huh? Oof, how is that? Uh, we really don't remember. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> by choice. That makes sense. <laughs> I can't, and they were your second then? Yes, that's right. Oof. Because I know a lot of people will say, if you start with twins and then you have one, it's fine because all you know is the double the work. But you guys went the opposite. I guess, yeah. I mean, we didn't really have a choice in the matter. <laughs> well, that's um, true. Yeah. I think um, I think twins as your first children would be super hard. Oh, yeah. 
I think twins as children would be super yeah. hard in general. <laughs> yeah, like I said, we don't remember a lot. <laughs> <laughs> put, it, put it out. How old was your older, your daughter then, when you, got, when you had the twins? How far uh, were they She apart? was four, four and three quarters. Okay, so she was a little bit older then. Yeah. Somewhat not needing every right. single aspect She was a, yeah, a little independent. Oh, my gosh. So what do they do now? Uh, our oldest daughter is a civil engineer. Okay. Um, she essentially travels the world doing good. Um, kind That's of awesome. In, yeah. So she, uh, she works in developing countries, um, helping uh, with infrastructure so food can be delivered to oh, cool. needy areas. Mm-hmm. Mm. And uh, our son is a uh, dancer. Uh, he works for, for several small companies in New York and Philadelphia. Okay. And does a lot of uh, d- teaching as well. Yeah. And then our daughter uh, is in politics. She Right now she works for uh, Senator Elizabeth Warren uh, in, wow. in her Iowa She's campaign. Busy. Yeah. Mm. busy lady so, right now. Okay. Yeah, a lot going on. Good for her. That's so cool. They all took very different routes. And yeah. But you guys are, I mean, you're an artistic family in general. And did they, were they pretty involved in, in music and theater and dance and literature? And yeah, everybody did. Um, a lot of shows at the late great Columbus, um, uh, well, at the Davis, we called it the Davis mm-hmm. Center. I think it's yep. now the Columbus um, Performing Arts Center. Performing That's where Arts I work. Center. So. Yeah, okay. Yeah. They're on. So th- we, they did many, many shows mm-hmm. there. Yeah. Very cool. And sang in the church choir and, yeah. and all that. Uh, That's awesome. And your wife is a musician. She is, yeah. She, what all does she play? Um, she plays many instruments. Um, you know, she's a, uh, a music teacher in the Columbus City School okay. System. Is she at the high school level? She is. Okay, yeah. that's what I thought. So she plays, yeah, she plays uh, piano, mandolin, guitar. Yeah. Uh, pretty much if it has notes coming out of it, she, <laughs> she can play can, it. She can do it. Didgeridoos. And exactly. Yeah. Well, you I actually have to keep that in mind. for. Yeah, <laughs> ask her about that. <laughs> yeah. How are your didgeridoo skills? Yeah. Those are lovely. Are they? Mm, I guess, maybe. What's the instrument... Um, that uses like the electricity. It sounds like oh, the theremin. The theremin. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That. Does she play that? Yeah. Not yet. Okay. Yeah. Or the saw? Can she do the saw? Probably. Oh, yeah. Yeah. She probably <laughs> could. I'll have to check on the saw. Could. Do you play any instrument? Um, I play a very little bit of piano. Okay. Okay. Did you play like growing up and just no. kind of retained or had some lessons as a okay. kid? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Did it? I think everybody probably. Did you have piano lessons as a kid? I did. I wish I'd stuck with it, but yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's one that I was like, dude, this is dumb. And now as an adult, I'm like, it'd be really sweet if I could play piano. Mm-hmm. But it would be. Yeah, but I can't. I can't either. I could probably learn. I can do that knuckle song. That I'm really good at that. Yeah, that's something. Nobody's hired that's me for it yet, though. No so nobody. No, no money made. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So tell me, what is the first thing that you wrote? Like that you remember writing, even as a kid? You said you wrote stories as kids, but do you remember like? What was your first thing that you wrote? Um, I think I wrote a, uh, a story about a, I think a duck that had some adventures. <laughs> Do you remember the name? I don't. I've got it. <laughs> I've got it at home. Someplace. Oh, okay. Uh, one of the series of books I, I loved as a kid were the Doctor Doolittle books mm. by Hugh Lofting, mm-hmm. um, and in fact, I I think I own all of them. Okay. And I remember. Um, I would never have called it this then, but I it would have 
been the equivalent of fan fiction in those days. Oh, you know, okay. Sort of writing yeah. a continuing yeah. story of, of those characters. Okay. Uh, and then, you know, over the years, I, I just, I, I probably wrote um, some little science fiction stories as mm-hmm. a kid. And then later on, um, as I got older, definitely mystery stories. Yeah. Did you read a lot of that genre growing up? Uh, the three, uh, I did. Uh, the three series that I read that I often talk about, uh, most people have, will have heard of the Encyclopedia Brown oh, yeah. series. Yep. Those were um, uh, actually kind of contemporary to me. So those mm. were, the, he was still writing those when, when we were kids. Okay. And then there's another series that is not that well known now, although I'm happy that, that to say they've been reissued. And this, they were called the Happy Hollisters. And uh, these were published by the Stratemeyer Syndicate, which is the same uh, outfit that published um, Nancy Drew. Oh, wow. Okay. And, uh, but the difference was that these were all written by this one guy, Jerry West. He wrote all hmm. of them. And this was a fictional uh, fam- a family on a fictional vacation lake, sort of New Jersey maybe. Yeah. And they went there every summer, and there were a mom and dad and three kids and a dog, and they just would have adventures and solve mysteries. Oh, cool. And uh, one, one point I often make about those books is that in mystery writing, as in most fiction, foreshadowing is a very important yeah. element. And the oldest of those three kids was a girl named Pam. Mm-hmm. So when I ended up meeting a Pam and marrying <laughs> her, I thought back and said, well, this was, this was, was significant. Yeah. So I always tell people, be careful about those characters you read about that you really like. Oh, gosh. You never know, you never <laughs> no, know I'm what's going to happen my, down the road. Yeah. Well, my Babysitter Club series growing up. Gracious. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. And then the last series I read, uh, my mom was a big Perry Mason uh, fan. Mm. So she had a lot of uh, the 1950s Perry Mason paperbacks on a mm. shelf at home. And these were really uh, great um, Easy, relatively easy to read. The covers were amazing, the, mm. and they had titles like "The Case of the Daring Divorcee" <laughs> and "The Case of the Velvety Claw." <laughs> uh, and they're, by today's standards, those books were very clean. There was nothing. Mm. Uh, there was no risque yeah. uh, action. There was no bad language. And as an eight-year-old, I was reading them, and I was kind of understanding maybe half of them. But mm. it really sparked an interest in in that genre. I just yeah. remember really liking that idea of, of yeah. a puzzle being put together. Huh. And then from there, just, you know, just read pretty much anything and still read. Yeah. Were you into the movies of any of the genres? Like, are you a film person as well? Um, I, I love going to movies and I love watching movies, um, but I would say um, not as much as... Yeah. As reading. As reading. Yeah. Do you ever get disappointed when you see something that you've loved reading? get up onto the big screen you know that's an interesting thing people often say that and my my take on that is that people too often uh try to they they wrongly compare that so Mm -hmm. a a book is a is a work of art and a movie is a work of art and you have to look at them independently so so just because they uh just because they don't meet your expectations from the book that's not really a fair comparison true yeah true i agree the question is does it meet your expectations as a movie. Right. Okay. So uh, a, a sort of backwards example I often give is that the, the first two Harry Potter, Harry Potter movies, to me, were pretty disappointing because they were essentially, they just filmed 
the, the books the book. scene by yeah. scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then the third Harry Potter movie, um, Prisoner of Azkaban, is a really fine film, mm-hmm. and that's yeah. sort of a good standalone film. Yeah. Now it may not, it may not um, make people who love that book happy, but I thought that was I thought that was a great, great book, and mm-hmm. I think you can say the same thing of a lot of movies yeah. but you have to judge them as so as what they are right i would say it's uh hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy is another one of my all-time mm. favorites uh, like there's the radio show which is a singular thing the book itself which is its own independent thing the film which is uh, it, I, I love the film and you know it's it's the it keeps getting reinvented in different genres and becomes sort of a thing mm. and it's it, yeah comparing the two across the board i think it's problematic so that's a good. I like that though, and I think that's probably something I need to do is stop judging movies because of. The <laughs> Thank you. I got my lesson for the day. <laughs> One, uh, your. So, what was the first book that you wrote then of yours? Well, the um, like everybody, I've got a few books that I wrote that mm-hmm. um, never did get published. Yeah. Um, but the first book that I published was a nonfiction book, based on reporting I did at the Associated Press about the death penalty. And in short, mm-hmm. um, back in 2002 or so, the death penalty in Ohio was about 20 years old. Mm. We were starting to hear calls for an examination of what the first 20 years was like. Was the law doing what the lawmakers had envisioned? Mm. Nobody in state government really wanted to touch this, so we at the Associated Press decided to undertake this. And oh, wow. Essentially, over three years, I examined almost 2,000 capital punishment indictments and did a pretty big analysis of every single case. What happened? Did the person, was the person sentenced to death? If not, what happened? Plea uh, plea bargain, uh, jury trial, case dismissed. And that that became a series of stories that came out in 2005. Mm -hmm. And once those ran uh, and made a lot of headlines, I thought, you know, I should turn that into a book. Mm. How, How hard could that be? (laughs) <laughs> so I found out. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and how hard is and it? There it is. Well, it uh, it was a, a really instructive experience, and um, my publisher, Ohio, which is Ohio University Press, um, uh, worked with me. You know, worked with me on that. Mm. And um, anyway, in two thousand nine, no, it's called No Winners Here Tonight, mm. and. That it is, it's the definitive history of the death penalty in Ohio. Oh, wow. Plus a pretty solid analysis of what the law was doing and not doing up until that time. Now, yeah. that, that book is now 10 years old, and a lot has changed mm. with capital mm. punishment in the wow. state. So th- if you wrote that in 2002, I mean, that was very much pre-internet. Uh, some internet, but not... I mean, were you just literally looking through document after document after document? It was a combination. The reporting involved, um, it did involve a lot of online research, but you're right. Um, Franklin County, for example, was not, their court system was not online at the time. Mm-hmm. So to review their cases, I, I schlepped to the courthouse wow. and read a lot of microfiche. Now, they, are, they have Oof. come online since then. Yeah. It's light yeah. reading, too. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's disturbing. But it was uh, <laughs> it was really instructive to yeah. to do that. Um, so yeah, having the internet around is very very handy now. Uh, but I, so th- I mean, th- I just reported all different ways on mm. that. What is the Associated Press? I mean, if you could define it, what exactly? Sure. So <laughs> the Associated Press is uh, we are a private nonprofit news gathering operation. 
we're a member cooperative, meaning that our um, we are basically we consist of media organizations mm-hmm. who um, are are our members yeah. and that we provide content to. Um, unlike a lot of news organizations, from the Columbus Dispatch to ABC News to the New York Times, we are a business-to-business company, mm. B2B. So our customers are other media organizations. We they pay us to provide them news content. Oh, okay. Gotcha. That makes sense. And that can vary. That can be everything from uh, news to sports. Uh, yeah. And that's uh, to politics. That's just text. We obviously we provide thousands of photos, mm. video, um, and on and on. I, I do see it a lot. I mean, you see Associated Press, like, everywhere. And I always wondered, like, I don't, how does that work? I don't understand. Oh, that is cool. How did you get involved with that? Well, I'd been in, I'd been in newspapers for 10 years yeah. and was just looking for another opportunity. Mm-hmm. And, um, and there was an opening, and I applied, yeah. and I got a job. And sometimes you just follow <laughs> what <laughs> happens. Just, just take it. Wow. How long did you write for newspapers then? Ten years. What Any particular features that you did? Did you stick with one? Um, uh, in Indiana, I was a uh, police reporter, and then I covered Indiana University for okay. uh, three years. I was there a total of seven years, so there was some general assignment reporting in there. And then at the Youngstown Vindicator, I... Uh, I worked in the Warren Bureau for 18 months and covered pretty much everything, uh, city government, mm. schools, police beat. Yeah. And then I covered uh, Youngstown City Hall for the last eight months. I was at the Vindicator. Okay. Is it hard to write? I, I'm Clearly, you have an interest in a lot of those things, but is it hard to write about something that you're not super interested in? You know, that's an interesting question. Um <laughs> I guess I have always felt like I've been granted a free education as a reporter, Mm. that I am able to cover, um, I'm able to learn on the job about a variety of different things. So there are times when, especially with state government reporting, when it's difficult to wrap my mind around super complicated concepts involving Medicaid funding Mm. or school funding especially. Yeah. But part of it is just you, you just um, keep asking questions till you have it right. Right. You learn from it. <laughs> you probably have gained a wealth of knowledge yeah, over the I think years, so. too. Yeah. Huh. What's your favorite story you've ever gotten to report on? I know that's a lot. Yeah, that's a tough one. <laughs> um, you know, I've covered a lot of... Uh, covered a lot of big some of the biggest crime cases. Um, mm. uh, let's see. I would say, you know, the stories I like covering involve essentially sort of real people who have done extraordinary things. Okay. Uh, one of the stories I did recently was about a, a uh, 103-year-old man in Columbus, who had worked as a chemist during World War II, oh, wow. and he had helped, he was one of a team that helped produce penicillin. Mm. And mm. he was he was still alive in Columbus. Really? And, uh, wow. Um, you know, that, that was a great story you to be able to, to tell. Him? I did, yeah. Mm. He, unfortunately, he's since passed, but okay. um, I, 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 it was a really great honor to meet That's him really and neat. to hear about his... Was uh, he pretty well-spoken when you... He was, yeah. At 103? Yeah, 103. Wow. Yeah. Good yeah. for him. Hopefully. And he... 
memory was there and everything. Sure, yeah. Yeah, he knew it all. That's mm. awesome. I mean, I don't want to live that long, but that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll be okay not that's to. That's a long time. That's yeah. a long time. That's a little bit too long. I got other things I want to do. <laughs> <laughs> so then you wrote, you've, you've written several novels now. That's right. So I have a, um, I wrote a second book, uh, nonfiction book, um, No Winter, or um, Hatred at Home, which is about a domestic terrorism case in Columbus that mm. was prosecuted. It was one of the first big post 9 11 mm. domestic terrorism okay. prosecutions that all the defendants happened to be here in Columbus. Oh, wow. And then uh, after that, I um, started a mystery series um, about a uh, something I've, I've always been attracted to the private eye genre. Mm. Uh, that's just one of my favorite um, types of book to yeah. read, always was, and going back to Encyclopedia Brown. <laughs> and um, so I started a, a private eye series that is now in its sixth book. Oh, wow. um, and it involves a, uh, a guy named Andy Hayes, who is a former Ohio State and Cleveland Browns quarterback who pretty much messed his life up on the ball field, on and off the ball field, um, went through a lot of problems and issues, eventually rebuilt himself um, from the bottom up and figured that a guy who was used to taking lumps on the field could probably take a few um, mm -hmm. in his day job. Yeah. So he uh, he lives he lives uh, fictionally in German Village. <laughs> uh, he has two sons by two different ex-wives mm. who are in Columbus. So he has a personal reason for hanging around town. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and people hire him as you would a private eye to investigate various things. And he typically sort of gets involved, makes makes kind of a mess of things, <laughs> uh, but then things work out in the end. Interesting. Where did that come from? Where did the character come from? Is he a combination of other characters? Well, I, uh, you know, I knew in I knew in creating a, a private eye that I wanted, um, you know, I knew he would, I knew that he would be a person in Columbus. It took me a long time to find a city mm. to set a private eye series in, and that yeah. was one of the nice things about about moving here. Once we burned our moving boxes. <laughs> <laughs> We knew this was home yeah. for a while, and yeah. we, we really like Columbus. Mm. And um, I should say that, you know, it, it has only recently occurred to me that I was part of a, a sort of wave of people moving to Columbus in the 90s that are part of this um, sort of huge growth we're experiencing mm. now. Colum and Columbus has changed so much even yeah. since we've been here. Yeah. So I knew um, I, knew I wanted a, a private eye who would who would be in Columbus. And a lot of private eyes typically have a bit of baggage. Um, sometimes <laughs> yeah. they're ex-military. Uh, sometimes they're a, a cop with a, a dark background. And I was trying to cast around for, you know, what, what would my character's uh, problems be? And it didn't take very long being in Columbus to realize that somebody who'd been a, at the top of the world as an Ohio State mm. football player and then who completely screwed it up and enraged fans mm. and then just became kind of persona non grata, that that would be kind of a fun conceit to have. Yeah. That that's mm, just yeah. something that it, it, he's always carrying around with him. Now, his Ohio State background has faded a little bit as the books go on mm -hmm. because, you know, realistically, fewer and fewer people might know that. But it's a fun part of, yeah. of his background. You're an Ohio State fan, I assume. You know, I, I uh, 
to steal a line from my brother, I'm I'm a a UN observer when it comes to Ohio State football. <laughs> I don't really I don't really have an opinion on yeah. on them that's one funny. way or the other. I'm a fair weather fan, so yeah, that's yeah. a good way to put it. Yes, <laughs> somebody had the Browns game on today, and I said I'm clearly in the wrong spot. So well, what's what's your team? I said. We're not going to talk about that Denver team that sometimes plays that I'm not cheering for this year because they're not doing well. <laughs> I can do that, right? Mm, sure. I'm going to anyway. Go for it. Mm-hmm. So when you, I mean, you, you know what your character looks like. Like, how did you, do you see him when you write about him? Uh, you know, I think I'm, I'm in his head more okay. than physically seeing him. Yeah. You know, I think he's probably a, a, a you know he's he's taller than I am. He's a little bit bigger than I am. Um, he's probably a uh, somewhat nondescript, slightly handsome guy. But it, I'm. It's more a question of being in his head. Yeah. So we're, you know, he's he would he's sort of my alter ego. <laughs> you know, I don't recommend people naming characters after themselves. <laughs> but I just knew he would be an Andy. Um, yeah. Just. And I'm an Andrew, and and no yeah. one calls me. I was going to say I don't. Think no I'd one calls me Andy, and no one calls him Andrew. And uh, okay. that's that's sort of a good example of yeah. of how we're both. Um, we've got some similarities and some differences. You know, mm-hmm. we uh, we share a sense of humor in common, but you know, a lot of your listeners will be surprised to hear I was not a star Ohio State quarterback. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have to tell them that. Well, that's too late. Okay. Um, but you're so big and strong. That's right. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Keep going. Keep going. Uh, and, um, you know, I've, I've been married to the same wonderful person for 35 years. Yeah. My character has been divorced twice. Mm-hmm. He, he broke or had, had a third engagement broken because of his own f- fault. And <laughs> he has periodic girlfriends. Um, so there's some similarities and some differences, yeah. yeah. And that's kind of fun yeah, yeah. to see. Well, it's probably important to keep too much of yourself out of a character, I would think. Yeah, I mean, you don't... Um, people often ask who he's who he's based on, mm-hmm. and, you know, he's, he's based on some real-life examples of uh, football players gone bad, but he's mm-hmm. also based on m- my own life experience. And, yeah. Uh, and, you know, I, I should also say... Uh, I, I sort of was capturing, capturing a bit of the zeitgeist because there are, it turns out there are many, many fictional private eyes who were uh, Ohio State, not not necessarily Ohio State, but but who were college football players really? or professional quarterbacks huh. or whatever. It's just part of the genre that's out there. You okay. Know. Hmm. I did not know. Yeah. It's kind of fun. Football. So what is your writing process like? Like when you sit yeah. down to put pen to paper is it do you type or are you i work on a computer yeah. yeah word processing yeah um i i i know people who write by hand and mm. i think that's a um i there's a certain value to that but for me with my schedule you know you're to go from that to then retype it just too much time <laughs> yeah uh, you're reliving your life uh, in a way that i don't <laughs> want to yeah. yeah so yeah i work on a laptop and uh i i work uh, each you know, I, there's an old saying that's been attributed to a bunch of different writers, but uh, my version of it is: um, I only write when I'm inspired, and I make sure I'm inspired every morning at 6 a.m. <laughs> so I write six mornings a week, 
6 to 8 a.m., sometimes a little longer on Sunday. Oh, wow. And I should say I work those hours. It's not nonstop writing. I don't think anybody is realistically doing that. <laughs> but I, that's a period of time when I focus on trying to produce some quality paragraphs. Mm-hmm. And some days it goes better than others. But uh, the dis- for me, that's the, discipline, the discipline that works. I'm not a night person. Um, I know lots of writers who don't even start till 10 at night, and they produce mm-hmm. amazing, amazing work, yeah. and I, yeah. I really admire that. But for me and my schedule, I work the opposite. It's better mm-hmm. to, to, for me to sit and focus for a couple hours each morning. So if you have an idea at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, you just take a note of it and put it... Yeah. You wouldn't stop and go straight to get it down on paper? No. No, okay. no, and I, f- I find you know writing, writing ideas down can be helpful, mm-hmm. but um, I'm not an outliner, uh, and hmm. I have found oftentimes that some of my best ideas are just things that come to me, and I just yeah. keep them up in my, my human cloud, and they bounce around up there till I can get them down. Till like down. That's interesting. I mean, so you don't outline. You just sit down and just go straight through. Is that the idea? I, I outline in my head. Um, yeah. I have an idea of where things are going, um, and as I write, I keep a separate um, document. I, I call it sidelining. Mm. Okay. Uh, but it's it's a place where I keep track of uh, things that I think of either that should be changed, but I don't go back and change them until the next draft, mm. or th- reminders of things that probably should happen. My experience is that if you're going to outline, it, you have to either go big or go home. <laughs> and what I mean by that is the writers that I'm aware of who, and these are very successful writers who outline, you're talking about an outline that could run to 150 pages. Oh, They're essentially producing a, a, like a small version work. of their book. Yeah. yeah. So that when they sit down to write, they know exactly what's happening. They have it all mapped. And they can write. Yeah. 6,000 words a day or something because they're following this very specific guide. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I couldn't work that way. I have a general idea of where things are going and I um, follow that as I write. But w- one of the nice things about writing is you periodically encounter characters and events that you just hadn't thought of. Yeah. And yeah. I, th- I think that's part of the fun of it. Yeah, absolutely. Do you, ed- do you find yourself editing a lot or do you wait till things get down and then go back. Right. So I don't, um, the only editing I do is I'll read the previous day's writing before I go on to okay. the fresh stuff. Yeah. But I don't, I very rigorously do not go back and edit um, a manuscript as I'm working on it. Mm. I prefer to get a, an entire draft done first, n- knowing full well that there's a lot of things that are going to have to be changed and that's yeah. nothing I would show anyone. Um, I've, my, my book that's, that came out last spring, um, Fatal Judgment, uh, I changed the gender of a character about three quarters of the way through. Hmm. And I didn't go back in that draft and make all those changes. It yeah. just would have been too unwieldy and right. took too much time. But on the, ne- on the next draft, then mm-hmm. I did. Interesting. And, and people vary on this. There are writers yeah. who, who they write, they want a perfect 500 words each day, and that works for them. Mm. Um, Lee Child, who writes the Jack Reacher thriller mm. series, famously basically produces one draft. He starts in September and he ends in April, and he does very, very little rewriting. 
Mm. It's, wow. it's amazing. And huh. his, his editors confirm. His, does he outline or do you know? I, I don't think he does, no. Really? I think he just, he has probably a general idea and then just, but he, you know, he's a very meticulous mm-hmm. writer and, yeah. and works, you know, hours a day at it. But he, but he takes his time as he goes so he yeah. doesn't have to go back. Oh, that's crazy. <laughs> I could never do that, no. Mm. I don't take time with much of anything as I go, so, yeah, that wouldn't. <laughs> yeah, you have to find what works for you. I think that's yeah. my, that's the lesson I always tell writers, that um, create your own system. There's a few, right. con- there's a few consistencies, which are you, you, really, you really need to work on it close to every day as possible. Yeah. Probably should work on it at the same time and hopefully in the same place. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but within those parameters, figure out what, what works best for yeah. you. Maybe you're an outliner. Maybe you're uh, more like me, where you sort of follow follow things as they go. Mm-hmm. Uh, but part of it is just you know butt in the seat. You just have to you just yeah. have to work. Yeah. That's that's how it goes. How do you? How did you? And how do you find a publisher? How does that work now? Well, um, there's lots of different ways. Um, I um, so I found my publisher by pitching the death penalty book way back when Mm. and then they kept me on for the mystery series okay um i have a a new book coming out in the spring which is an anthology of short stories um by 14 different writers in columbus oh wow each Mm. one set in a different columbus neighborhood oh how cool that's a different publisher yeah and i in that case i i i was well they write us they publish a series of these um kind of city-based anthologies, mm-hmm. and I'd always admired that series. So mm. in that case, I pitched yeah. that to them, and they accepted it. Oh, that's and that's cool. called um, Columbus Noir, <laughs> and that's uh, that'll be out on March 3rd. That yeah. sounds cool. Wow. And, yeah. That's uh, awesome. 14, um, 14 neighborhoods, 14 writers. Uh, all the stories are very dark because mm. it is noir, mm-hmm. but each, each neighborhood really comes alive. You'll recognize a lot of the places oh, in cool. these. And then, um, you know, that's been my, my method, but, you know, the going the agent route mm-hmm. is, a, is a common one um, and probably a preferred one. It's a mm-hmm. strange time in publishing right now. There's been a lot of consolidation. Um, so there's, there's both fewer sort of big traditional presses, but then there are, there's a lot of smaller presses yeah. um, that will publish my genre uh, where you don't need an agent. Hmm. Um, so there's, there's pros and cons to that. And then there's the whole self-publishing world as yeah. well, which is, yeah. um, it's kind of more common now, isn't it? A lot of more people are doing that. Well, there's a lot of opportunities to do it. Um, and there's a lot of different ways to self-publish there. Uh, thanks to Amazon and iTunes, mm-hmm. they've made it very easy to literally just write a book and upload it. Yeah. Um, but there's also people I know um, who self-publish who basically treat it as a business. Mm. They hire an editor. They hire cover artists. Yeah. And um, they produce really, really quality work. Mm. So self-publishing is one of those things you don't want to lump into one category. There's, right. a, there's a really big spectrum of self-publishing. Mm-hmm. And for some people, that's definitely a, a good way to go. Yeah. So when, when does your wife get to read your stuff? At what um, point in the process do you allow <laughs> your family to jump into what you're doing? So yeah, she's um, she's my first reader, and she'll she'll get a draft when you know I think it's ready to um, leave leave the computer and yeah. and flap its little wings and go out into the world. <laughs> <laughs> um, Stephen King 
has a great saying. He wrote a, a really great book called um, On Writing, which is. Mm-hmm. I hear that's like the Bible for writers. It's a great book. Yeah. Even if you don't, even if you don't like Stephen King, frankly, even if you've never read a single King novel, you should read this book. Mm-hmm. And he has a saying that you know the first draft should be written with the door closed. And the next draft should be written with the door open. Mm. And what he means by that is the first draft is is something that is just yours, and you're yeah. working on it, and you don't need to be telling people about it. Mm. You don't need to be showing it to them. Just, just produce this thing. Yeah. But after that, you know what? It, it's going to have to go out into the world, and other people are going to have to see it, yeah. comment on it, give you advice. And so, yeah, Pam usually sees a, a novel or a short story when it's reached a when it's reached a point that is that I'm comfortable with showing it to people, mm-hmm. but that's not uh, necessarily that it's ready for publication. Yeah, that's when I'm ready to start getting people's input on it. Is she a good critic? She is. Yeah. 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 Good that's, advice. It, to be honest, that scares the crap out of me. Like, <laughs> it's so personal what you've done, and then it's like, here you go. I'm waiting till you're done. I mean, is it, is it challenging, or have you done it now enough? And well, have yeah, feedback. It's so. challenging, but th- this is something again. You 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 have to just accept. You, you have to have a bit of a thick skin. Yeah. Um, yeah. This idea that that writers finish, they type that last word, they send it off to the publisher, and it appears in print without a single apostrophe <laughs> changing. Right. You know, this is just a myth that grew up over time, mm-hmm. um, and. You know, there's nothing further from the truth. I mean, writers need editors yeah. um, because yeah. you do become wrapped up in, in right. your vision. And somebody may say, you know, hmm, this doesn't really make sense. Did you did you did you realize that? And you, you need to be open to uh, constructive criticism. Yeah. Is it hard though? Do you still find that challenging? No one likes to have something they've created um, criticized, yeah. but there's only one thing to do about it, which is to maybe stamp your feet a couple of times and then sit down and just start working on the, yeah. the edits. Jeez. Yeah. That's crazy. That's awesome. I did a little writing myself, and it's new and scary for me, so I'm very <laughs> interested by this. Well, he's, he's read part of it. Yeah. But I like that in that, and I didn't do it right, of course, but to shut the door the first time around. Because it it's something like, I'm writing something. Well, and if you're you're uninitiated, I mean, you've been writing for a long time and you've written countless stories, you know, news and everything like that. I mean, I feel like the first time you hand somebody something you've written, it feels a little bit like being naked in Mm -hmm. front of them because it's like there's there's just a lot of raw stuff. It's it's your brain. It is. And that's scary. I always remember in, I don't know, maybe sixth grade English, the teacher had one of those don't fall in love with your first draft posters and while I was like, I clearly still remember that. I mean, it's only been a couple <laughs> of years since sixth grade, but I also hated that poster because I did. I knew I was the kind of person that fell in love with my first draft and I didn't want to change. Things. Rewrite it. Why do I need to rewrite it? I wrote right. it already. I did it. Yeah. It's done. Yeah. yeah. I liked it. Yeah. It's fine. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and the, I, I wrote a, I guess we're thinking maybe a screenplay maybe one act something short yeah. I still clearly haven't figured it all out but literally as soon as it was done was like okay go yeah ah, and then I had a group come in and read it and it was to be fair it was it was overwhelming 
I don't know if that's normal or not, but it was by far exceedingly positive and wonderful. The feedback was great, and it gave me so much to do, and I have not touched that damn script <laughs> since. <laughs> because I think just it's it's intimidating to have that first Right. It's, just, it's a scary moment. Yeah. Have you ever had a piece that that you've worked on and created that you just literally destroyed, like it's just done? Or do you go back and change things? Do you mean that... Um that didn't require changes? Or have you ever written something to completion, but then just never, it just failed? Oh, sure. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I've, I get short stories rejected all the time. Mm. How um, do you, where do you do with those? What do you do with short stories nowadays? There, there are actually quite a lot of um, outlets for, uh, I'm going to just speak to mystery writing, mm-hmm. but I think this actually applies across genres. There are actually quite a lot of outlets for short stories now. Really? However, you're not going to make a lot of money publishing them, mm-hmm. um, with, a, with a couple exceptions. But just in the mystery world, there are, I don't know, probably close to, probably close to 15 to 20 um, publications, some online, some print, some a combination. Some pay, for sure. Mm-hmm. Some give you a, a complimentary copy. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are also constant calls for submissions to anthologies. Oh, okay. And yeah. I know many people publish regularly in, in anthologies. Mm. Okay. Um, and so it's kind of an exciting time for, for that. And again, you know, these are, you're, you are going to make a little bit of money sometimes, but you might not. You might just get mm-hmm. a complimentary copy of the anthology, but that's still that's pretty cool. cool. Yeah. Cool to see yeah. your stuff in print. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So what's next for you? What, what are you working on now? Well, um, the next big thing is Columbus Noir. Uh, mm-hmm. We're gearing up for a Thurber Evenings with Authors launch. Oh, cool. um, so that's going to take up most of my spring. Uh, I have some uh, short stories. Um, I have three or four short stories teed up, accepted for publication. And they just haven't come out yet. Yeah. And then uh, the next Andy Hayes novel uh, will be out in spring of 2021. Okay. So I'm working on some revisions to that and then thinking about the one that will come after that. Since you have a series, is there a time frame you have to have to get the next one out? So uh, I typically publish one a year. Mm -hmm. Um, We're taking a break uh, before the next one comes out. But uh, we 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 like to try to do one a year. And um, the way the editing process works, it typically typically takes about 13 months between the time I turn it in and the time it's published. Wow, that's wow. a long time. And, yeah, <laughs> okay. and that's pretty that's pretty normal. typical. Yeah, okay. I mean, that involves um, uh, a sort of three-part editing process, uh, what are known as developmental notes, where an editor will, will read the manuscript and, and make some initial suggestions. Mm-hmm. This works, this doesn't work. Yeah. And then, uh, and then the second level of editing is a closer sort of line editing and copy editing, and that's getting down to um, more minor plot consistencies, making mm-hmm. sure you didn't skip a day, mm-hmm. and then a lot of um, just grammatical yeah. issues. Yeah. Uh, and then the third and most um, nerve-wracking is when you receive the galleys, which is uh, essentially what the book is going to look like. Oh, and wow. your job there is to read it through one more time, and and this is by hand with a red pen, literally oh, uh, red pen. And you're 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 looking for 
Anything you know, and everything. And misspellings. Mm-hmm. Um, you're not looking to make big changes at this point. Yeah. Um, you're, you're, you want to make sure that, that there's consistencies, that chapter numbers are correct. Wow. Uh, you know, again, you want to make sure nobody missed a, a Thursday that should have been a Tuesday. But that's mm-hmm. that's both rewarding but also scary because you realize at that point it's you're sort of at the point of no return. Yeah. Oh, wow. It's interesting to know that it starts off sort of as this kind of like largely unfocused thing. And then, you know, you and other people kind of work it into something. It's, mm. I don't know, there's kind of the predilection for somebody who hasn't written novels to think that it's sort of like, well, you write a thing and send it off and, oh, this is great. Just change this to this. And it's, you know, it's just a quick, simple, relatively painless process. But mm. I've worked with a lot of clients and know that that's never how it actually <laughs> works. So, you know, but uh, mm. yeah, it's interesting to see that side of it. Yeah, so. and, and even some of the some of the biggest <clears throat> names in the business and some of the best writers, you know, they go through it too. That mm. you know, sure, they, they'll submit something, and um, I mean, sometimes it doesn't even work. You know? Yeah, I mean, there's wow. there's big big name novels out there shopping manuscripts. So yeah, hmm. it's um, something you always need to be working at. Yeah, what would you say to somebody who's considering sitting down and writing mm-hmm. that first novel? Yeah. Well, I would don't do it. I would say I would give them a complicated answer that that starts with sit down and write that novel. Yeah. Huh. Um, what what to expand that a little bit? What I often tell people is try to get a, a few things set first, mm-hmm. and these are things I've already talked about. Not what you would think. It doesn't involve your plot. It doesn't involve yeah. your characters. It involves how are you going to write this? Yeah. Literally. Right? Well, even more specifically, yeah. are you going to write this on a computer? Wow, are you, yeah. you going to handwrite it? Mm. You need to figure that out first. Next thing is, you know, when are you going to write it? What, um, what um, conditions are you setting on yourself mm. to, give your, to allow yourself the time which you deserve to work on this? Mm-hmm. And then um, as simple as where are you going to write this? Are you going to write this in a coffee shop? That's mm. great. Are you going to write it in, in your um, living room chair? That's mm. fine too, kitchen table. But you need to you need to get these mechanics out of the way first. This mm. is where I think a lot of people get tripped up. Yeah. Um, because writing a writing a book is a it's different than anything else. It, it's a dedicated task that's going to take time, place, and you you have to give yourself the um, permission to do it. So those are the things I usually tell people. And then I, you know, I always encourage people to really um, research your genre. So mm. if, you, if you are writing a uh, mystery novel, what type are you writing? Are you, you know, who are the other authors that you like that, you, that are similar to you? If you're writing a science fiction novel, if you're writing more what's known as literary fiction, uh, mm. Western, whatever, romance... <laughs> Do they um, still write westerns? Yeah, there's, really? a, there's a fair amount of westerns okay. out there. Yeah, <laughs> um, and so I and so I always tell people just you know edu- What I don't want to hear from people when I ask them, well, who do you like to read? I, I, I don't want to hear that you love Agatha Christie. <laughs> we all love Agatha Christie. <laughs> She's she, great. She is She's great. But I I sometimes run into writers who that's they stop and start there. Right. And. Mm. I think you really, 
Um, and the same actually would go with screenplays or poetry. Mm-hmm. You, you really need to educate yourself in yeah. your genre, and that means um, reading widely. I can't emphasize that enough. Mm-hmm. Um, it, Stephen King again. If you don't have time to, uh, if you don't have time to read, you don't have time or the tools to write. Mm-hmm. Mm. And that's a that's a biggie. If you need to have a heart to heart with yourself, if you want to write a novel but you haven't read a novel in two years, you probably need huh. probably need to think hard yeah. before you start. Right. Huh. And um, and then there's just so many opportunities out there. Um, there's so many, like I said, so many of these mystery magazines. There's some just fantastic uh, mystery websites. Um, and you know, I, I subscribe to tons of blogs. Um, I follow a lot of mystery writers on Twitter. I just like to feel like I'm I'm part of the conversation, yeah. so I know I know what's going on out there. So I feel part of it, and I think that's really important. That's awesome. Hmm. What is the feeling like when you get your published book in your hands for the first time? Oh my God! <laughs> I only have a. I have less than a year to write the next one. <laughs> the I'm on this train now. I can't <laughs> get off. <awesome>. Yeah. <clears throat> well, Andrew Welsh Huggins, you are amazing. Thank you so much for coming and hanging out. You're around. welcome. Thanks. I really enjoyed it. <laughs> Where can people find you and your yeah. work? Oh, thanks for asking. Um, AndrewWelshHuggins.com. And that has um, stuff about me, stuff about my books, uh, my event schedule, and you will get a pop-up to see if you want to subscribe to my newsletter. Sweet. I have a very um, pain-free newsletter, which is not all about me, <laughs> but is about bookstores and libraries that mm-hmm. I like, about books that I've read recently that I yeah. really like, and um, and then a little bit about my events. Okay. So, And that comes out maybe five times a year. Okay. Uh, and you can follow me on Twitter, AWH Columbus, and that's the same handle for Instagram. Very cool. And Very March third, cool. you said is the launch date for Columbus Noir. March third, Columbus I'm excited Noir. About this. Um, you can. I don't think Thurber House has put that out um, on online yet, but it'll be coming out okay. soon, and that'll be at the Columbus Museum of Art Auditorium. Very cool. That sounds mm-hmm. awesome. And I, yeah. I, I will just say one more thing: Columbus Noir. Don't just read it because I edited it. Read it because there are fourteen great Columbus writers yeah. in there. That's the part that I'm who contributed. I, I'm excited cool. about your part for sure, <laughs> but like that it's a bunch yeah. of different. Yeah. These are just yeah. all about great, Columbus. Great Columbus. stories uh, yeah. set in in some of our great neighborhoods. That's awesome. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, we will definitely be. Awesome. I want to go see. <laughs> yeah, it sounds awesome. Yeah. Very cool. Well, hey, if you like what you're hearing, uh, we are speak easily with Krista Stoffer. Uh, I'm not. She is. What? Uh, you're I, not? I know. I'm. I'm. I'm the idiot Nobody sidekick. Knew that. Everybody uh, thinks that I have two voices. It's <laughs> really true. Two voices, two personalities. It's very confusing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, if you so like much. us, uh, please like, subscribe, follow us on uh, on the socials. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably Facebook's best place to start. That's where you can kind of actually have direct contact with us. That sort of thing. We uh, might. Answer yes, back. or if you're not a Facebooker, uh, I totally understand that vibe. Um, and you can find <laughs> us on SoundCloud too. SoundCloud, uh, uh, iTunes, just speak yeah. easily. Yeah, that's it. And uh, yeah, awesome. Cool. Thank you again for coming. Yeah, in. you're well, very welcome. Great really time. enjoyed it. Great to hear what's coming <laughs> up. And thank you for listening. Yep. Thanks for listening. <laughs>